Good morning. It's great to see everybody here. Thank you for joining this session on In God I Trust, Anchoring Your Heart in the Lord. Are we bringing that down just a tad? Softening. Okay. Because I can get a little loud and then we're really in for it. Welcome, as I mentioned. Uh, my name is Tom Lehman. Many of you probably don't know me. been a lay elder at Grace Church since 2010. Uh, was born again in 1989. I've had the joy of being at Grace Community Church my entire saved life. The other great joy beyond salvation is uh, when I was saved, we were, my wife and I, Stacy, where are you, Stacy? Oh, she's over in that corner over there. She's keeping an eye on me, though. <laughs> That's a help meet, okay? Um, but my wife was saved the year after that. So here we are. What a joy to serve the Lord alongside you. So would you pray with me as we open our time this morning? Lord, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to approach your throne. Thank you for allowing us to be reconciled, purposing us to be reconciled in your Son having the perfect plan of redemption in place before sin ever was, before the foundation of the world, that we sinners could be reconciled to you through the very righteousness of your Son, that he paid the sin debt that we owed, which is death, but you have given us life and life eternal. Lord, help us to realize that we are merely sojourners here, that we are heaven-bound, that we will live in eternity seeing our risen Lord as he truly is and worshiping him in perfect spirit and truth the way that he deserves. In the meantime, Lord, while we are here in these temporal surroundings, that, yes, are fallen, and yet from that pack of fallen people, you have your elect that you have called and you have justified, you have sanctified, and you will glorify. And, Lord, we are grateful to be your people, your very children. May the words that I speak through your word this morning be edifying, encouraging, and challenging to all of us at the same time. And Lord, I pray if anyone here doesn't know you in a saving way, that this would stir up their heart, that the Spirit would soften their hearts, open their eyes, and seek to live for you. And Lord, for those that are redeemed, we want to be pleasing to you as well and excel in that area. And I pray that this message would be a part of that. We know that your word encourages that very thing, commands that very thing, and yet we fall woefully short. Thank you again for forgiving us of our sin. We worship and we praise you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, um, this is more of a topical study. I'm, I'm so grateful that oftentimes that oftentimes we have messages in our adult fellowship groups when we're having them outside of Sundays in July. 
but also in main service that affirm each other. I hope you notice that. And one common theme that you will often hear is trusting the Lord. And what I want to encourage for, for all of you is listen for that. Listen for that. I, if I start talking more and more just on an aside, I'll start covering the material that's already there. So I'm going to kind of pause on that. But let me give a little more introduction of what the Lord has done and is doing uh, in our lives with Stacy and I. Uh, we serve in a number of different areas. We serve in special ministries alongside uh, uh, Pastor Rick McLean and his wife Janelle and, and others, including Glenn and Susie Gibbs, uh, etc. It's been an interesting time, though, in special ministries because of COVID. So many of the people that are in special ministries are in group homes, and they are supported actually by grants through the state, etc. So you can imagine that if you're going to get along with the state, you better conform to the CDC guidelines and everything else, and even on a more stricter sense. So special ministries has been very different than it has in years past. Um, And in that, we trust the Lord. And in that, I mean, in every aspect of life, and I hope that comes through loud and clear in this message, because that is the very topic. A scripture, uh, this is a a very topical study. I'm not going to expose it, but one scripture that you're very familiar with that I want you to consider often is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now, I do want to say, I know you just heard Phil Johnson in the main service. He also covered and exposits this scripture uh, from the main service in 2020. So for an exposition of this scripture, I would encourage you to go to the Grace website and listen to that. I'm sure you all enjoy Phil. He's so clear in outlining, whereas I am not, (laughs) okay? Um, I can be all over the place, as you've probably already noticed. But the fact is, it's very important to dive deep into that. Today, in the topical study, I want to talk about a few different things. The definition of trust, Christ as the object of our faith and trust, and what can compromise our trust in Christ, and what can increase our trust in God and the impact of trusting God. So that's really my, my general outline points. So let me start off. Last Sunday, uh, Stacy and I attended Greg Fraser's class, uh, Faith of Our Fathers, the Religious Beliefs of the American Founding Fathers, of the Founders. And and I was really curious to attend that class as I really didn't know what their perspectives were biblically. I've heard a lot of things, certainly, and my father-in-law many years ago had given me a a George Washington biography. It it was a good read. I enjoyed it. And here's where one of my struggles was, not, not with Greg's class, but in my own mind. I had heard that many of our founding fathers were deists. Well, deists don't believe in the active, sovereign working of God today in our world. Ironically, I thought that at one point before I was saved. I was brought up a Lutheran in the local church over here that early on it was simplistic, maybe even shallow, but truthful. 
That has grown way away from that into liberalism, unfortunately. But I will tell you this. Here's another aside. I will tell you this. That church uh, was closed because it was, it was teaching error. And now it has a Chinese alliance church in it that is teaching truth. I should warn you all a little bit. I have a dry mouth and watery eyes. <laughs> so just bear with me. We'll work through all of this. But there are times, and I pray in your life, maybe in different ways, that the goodness and glory of God is overwhelming. Where was I? <laughs> uh, let's see. Back to the Founding Fathers and just talking about George Washington. Well, in this biographical, biographical book, it was not an autobiography. It was a biography from somebody else. He talked about different aspects of God's sovereignty in some battles and things of that nature. One that I can remember, and I read this thing 25 years ago or so, but I distinctly remember that there was a particular battle wherein there was a fog, and that fog allowed them to get to the other side of the Potomac or wherever they were, and uh, being unnoticed, stealthily, right? And the author had attributed that to God's sovereignty. If that happened, it was a sovereign act of God, right? But whether or not George Washington was looking at it that way or not, I question. Because he was really, he claimed to be a believer, and correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, uh, but he really did not speak much of Christ, the Bible, God is almost, I won't say agnostic, well, I just did. But he, I'm not saying that he was that, but nominal at best. Nominal at best. So it was really interesting to hear some of that. Now, why do I bring that up in this class? Not just for Phil, okay? It is, it is really because our nation is blessed by God, is it not? I mean, we're seeing it spiral, and we'll talk about that in a little while. But God has been good to us. I can even be in front of you teaching the truth. What if that changes? He's still sovereign. Thank you, my brother. You are right. That's my friend Ray Ray over there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. But here's the point. It's just interesting that even in our currency, what's on all of our currency? In God we trust. Now, that doesn't define God, right? When do you think that became part of our currency? Like 1959, I believe. Now, it was introduced way, way earlier. I can't remember one war, but it was earlier than that. But it became official in 1959. I'm surprised it's still there in a way, right? But the, but the question is, some say we are or were a Christian nation and that we were structured in that way. I, I really don't know the answer to that specifically, but as mentioned a moment ago, we do know that God has providentially blessed our nation in countless ways. Even while the God-haters have done all they could to exclude him from everything they can. Even our California seal used to have a cross on the image of the San Gabriel mission. 
but that was removed in 2016. Uh, did I say California? I'm sorry, that was a Los Angeles uh, county seal. Uh, correction there. With a not-too-slow slide away from the Bible, morality has slid into all sorts of perversions which are now being praised by many as courageous and heroic. Something is seriously wrong. Even corporate America has gone woke and adopted inclusion and supports non-binary gender insanity. This is clearly anti-biblical as God made them male and female. I do want to encourage you, if you did not hear it, Mike Riccardi's first Sundays in July session was excellent. And specifically on this point, it was titled, What is Man? How, it wasn't, what is a woman? It it was. (laughs) What is man? How six-day creation and historical Adam are foundational to our identity. Yet we see much of society embracing foolish and absurd perspectives today. Now, how can this be? Let's look at what the Bible says about that. Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, Among them, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen? But Satan has been given a time on this earth, and his schemes can be wearisome to witness and ugly to see. Now, I'm back up for a second. There are two kinds of people, very simple. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. Can't be more simple than that, but it is that straightforward. Those who are in the light and those who are in the darkness, those who are children of God and those who are of their father, the devil. Those who are in Christ have been given grace, unmerited favor, the gift of faith, and have repented of their sins and have learned and are learning to trust in God more fully. And that's what we're talking about today. This is an aspect of progressive sanctification. We learn more about God, we grow in trusting God, and we grow in obedience in the process. But for those who are not in Christ, who continue in rebellion, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, refusing to believe Or they may believe some biblical facts, but their hearts are hard, and they go about their lives without God at the center of it. They do not have saving faith. They place their trust in another. I'm not defining that yet. But please do not forget, that is the mission field, right? We need to affirm that. As Christians... The old man, the flesh, is at war with the new man in the spirit. 
We are to mortify or kill the old man in the tendencies towards self-reliance and grow or vivify, as the Puritan said, grow in Christ, putting down thoughts that would have you trusting anything other than Christ. Galatians 5, starting at verse 6, says, But I, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. It obviously goes into the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit thereafter, and closes with, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Walk in a manner of who you are in Christ. We are called to examine ourselves in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And if you are questioning if you are in Christ, I encourage you to listen to Steve Lawson's gospel message from a Sunday before last, or it was last Sunday, uh, in the main service. It was clear, concise, passionate gospel, okay? So if you did not hear it, even if you are a born-again believer, solid, uh, listen to that message. It is a fabulous gospel message. But I also want to remind you of, of the Scripture, Romans 10, 9 and following, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him, in Christ, will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I I mentioned that because I didn't want to exclude those who are present that may not have a, a true saving faith. But I'm speaking to those of you that do. Okay? Because the unbeliever cannot grasp, cannot understand trusting God in this way. For after all, they haven't trusted him for salvation. How can they trust him in all of life? In fact, we as believers, we kind of move ahead in our life at times trusting God, but other times, whether it's a small issue or maybe a big issue, at times we're leaning on something else, oftentimes ourselves, oftentimes something else, and we'll talk more about that. But let me start uh, start with the definition of trust. Okay, trust. Trust is a reliance. You've heard, uh, again, trusting in God, relying on God alone for your salvation. It's not your performance. It's what Christ has done uh, and is doing in his intercession. But it's a dependence. There's a certainty in that. There's uh, an assurance, a confidence And yet there's an expectation as well. There is faith in that object, and in that there is hope. The key is that our trust is always in or on something or someone. The question for us all is, who or what is the object of our trust in all of life, temporally and eternally? 
Ronald Reagan had a famous quote, trust but verify. A lot of you will remember that. Well, first of all, that isn't real trust, but it was because of the object that he was placing his per se trust in, the someone. This phrase was used by Reagan in December 1987 after the signing of the INF Treaty, Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, with Mikhail Gorbachev, the Soviet leader at that time. I can understand trust but verify, right, in that circumstance? Okay, that makes perfect sense, and it's even wise. But another interesting note about the Reagans that I thought about a little bit after writing that down was Nancy. What did Nancy look at quite seriously? Do you know? Astrology. There's something not to trust in, right? Okay, show your hands. How many of you look at astrology? No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't want to know that answer. But if you do, don't. Right? Might as well go see the soothsayer or the lady at the corner that has that sign out in front that does not know the future. And, and either it's just silly or demonic. Right? Well, it's not silly. Either way, it's not silly. A lie. A lie against God is never silly. Sometimes, maybe often, people simply trust in themselves. Who else is going to protect their interests and well-being? They may trust in their own intellect, abilities, cunning, savvy, finances, power, position. But man is man, depraved, and often, if not always, thinks too highly of himself. Yet because of our sinful pride, self-reliance is almost the default. And we may have developed the habit of dealing with issues in that fashion, relying on self to deal with issues that we face. The sad irony is your abilities were all given to you by your creator. Trust in him, right? We may rely or trust in experts. Sometimes we need to. At times, yet we must remember even the best experts are fallible. Financial advisors, attorneys, CPAs, counselors, bosses. Now, I am not saying not to trust your experts. But remember, their influence is limited to their, limited to their given field. You should also verify with the experts that they are aligned with your objectives and that they work, their work or service is consistent with your values. If not, what would be wise is to kindly gently, with even the gospel, confront any error or sin that's involved with those experts or find one that can align with your values. Do not allow your CPA to convince you to be less than honest with the IRS. That's common. Many people will cross the proverbial line when it comes to rendering to Caesar what is due Caesar. After all, everybody does it. But that never justifies lying and fraud to the government or anyone else. How about personal relationships? Sometimes people really rely in different personal relationships. Parents, siblings, spouse, 
Uh, some find that family is, is where much or at least some of their trust dwells. However, this can become a misplaced trust quite often. We need to be open and honest in all matters, seasoned with love and grace, and encourage uh, seeking biblical counsel and wisdom in our roles and responsibilities and attitudes in these relationships. If an issue becomes seriously problematic or seemingly impossible to resolve, that is a good time to find a solid biblical counselor. But warning, a lot of people can do this as well. Do not search out friends or advisors that will tell you what you want to hear. You want to hear biblical truth. Find someone that will communicate biblical truth, even if convicting. And if there's error, it should be convicting. I trust that you, like myself, in, in literally all good messages, there's an aspect of conviction with encouragement, right? So be mindful of so-called Christian counselors. I'm not talking about them at... at uh, Grace Community Church. But like, for instance, in the 2020 Barna study, it indicated that some 70% of so-called born-again Christians believe there are multiple ways to reach heaven aside from faith in Jesus Christ. That's frightening. I, I was amazed at that high of a, of a, of a number. I, I hope they misunderstood the question. If you listen to Christian radio, you will hear all kinds of error and much of it infused with psychology. Beware and be discerning about what you ingest. Uh, biblical truth does not align with Freudism. It just doesn't. One's humanistic and one's supernatural from our creator. Okay, number two in the so-called outline um, Christ is the object of our faith and trust. One moment. Here's the dry mouth and then the watery eyes. <laughs> Clearly, the only logical person with whom we can trust for life and godliness is Christ. We are commanded to do so, and because he is divine and loves us, he is the only one with whom we can trust in all things. You're familiar with John 14, starting at verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said... Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said these most important words of exclusivity of salvation in him alone. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. How can such a familiar verse, as I mentioned just a moment ago in that Barna study, have 70% of, of quote, born-again Christians believing there's another way. This clearly is the exclusivity of Christ, for there is salvation in no other name. 
If there was another way of salvation, why would it be necessary for Christ to die? Instead, this is the one plan and provision for salvation as determined before the foundation of the world, before sin ever was. Christ paid the price, the debt of sin, which is death, that all who would believe, all who would believe would live. But not only did Christ pay our sin debt, he also imputed his righteousness on the same, on those same children of God. So instead of our holy, righteous, just God imposing the judgment that was due to us, he carried out his perfect justice and wrath on his very son. His one and only son, who was the only sinless man in all of history, the second Adam, tempted in all things, yet without sin. When he went to the cross, he wasn't paying for any of his sins. He had none. Tempted in all things, yet without sin. But he incurred the wrath of the Father that we all deserved. He is glorified in this work, and in so doing, saved sinners like you and me. Do you believe this? Yeah. Well, trust Trusting lives is what we're talking about, and we trust him wholly and fully in salvation. And again, the point I'm, I'm driving at is sometimes we don't do so in all of life. So I want to encourage all of us to excel still more in that area, and I hope I can help to do so. Trust lives and grows in this truth. If Christ died for you, you should live for him. You and I should live for him. Christ is the sovereign one, the creator and sustainer of all things. He possesses all the perfections, powers, and attributes of God. He is entirely and completely trustworthy. There is no other. He is trustworthy regardless of the circumstances you and I deal with. Now, are you getting a double whammy this morning with <laughs> Phil and, and, again, this message? This is Phil Light, okay? Um, but, but the fact is, it can't be overstated how important this is. We all want to live for God. We want to be pleasing to him. We want to make that our aim to be pleasing to him. And I think this is one of those areas that clearly we can all uh, excel. So, Here's another outline point. What can compromise our trust in Christ? Jeremiah 12.1 says, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Have you ever thought that? Are you thinking that these days? We need to correct our thinking. God is indeed sovereign over all. He's not missing that point. It will be very interesting. I mean, we live in really incredible times. What happens tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, maybe years from now, I don't know. It does seem like we're in the last days, but that's not for us to know. We live with that expectation, right? 
Because nothing else need take place except God's plan to be fulfilled. And, you know, we say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We pray for that. But that's, can I say that's maybe a little bit of selfishness in that? And what I mean is God is doing what now? Interceding for us, yes, that, but building his church. Do you think he's building his church in the chaos that's going on in the Ukraine and in the world? Absolutely. Be praying for a revival. But, or I should say end, if God intends for us to be here through difficult trials as he's pouring out judgment on the world, so be it. We may have a great jail ministry in the near future. (laughs) We don't know, right? Can we trust him? Can we trust him? So, what are other areas that may compromise our trust in Christ? How about independence? And what I mean by that is, it's kind of very American to be independent, in a way. After all, we have a Declaration of Independence, right? But there's an encouragement to self-dependence. And I'm not saying be irresponsible or let go, let God. We have responsibility. One of our primary responsibilities is to communicate the gospel to this lost and dying world, but also to work hard, be honest, have integrity, um, and grow in Christ's likeness. What an amazing thought that the Lord is doing that, and oftentimes uses adversity to do so. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, prayerlessness can be another area that can compromise our trust in Christ. Prayer is a sign that we have dependence, that we're utterly dependent on our all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God. Prayerlessness can indicate the very opposite. Every time I ask somebody about their prayer life, which I rarely do, actually, and maybe I should start, um, and they should ask me. They always say, I could pray more, right? That's probably somebody that's praying in their prayer closet for three hours in the morning at four o'clock, and they'll still say, more. Instead of like, what was it, J. Paul Rockefeller? can't remember. All he wanted more was money, and he had all the money. I mean, vastly wealthy. But how useless. What a waste. Prayer is not a waste at all. It's subjecting ourselves to our sovereign one. He already knows what we're going to pray. It's not giving information, but it is, it is verbally or silently, either way he knows, communicating, humbling ourselves before him, showing our, our trust in him, How about this? Lack of time in the study of God's word. This can allow a low view of God and too high a view of man, which is quite often one of the key problems with our understanding and trust is we can have too low of a view of God. That needs to be accurate. If I'm going to encourage 
that is continue to study the attributes of God. Uh, Men of the Word went through the attributes many years ago, or a few years ago. Um, Excellent, excellent study. And Brad is a a gifted teacher. Um, One I would highly recommend, um, and ladies, you can listen to those too, even though it's Men of the Word, um, is The Jealousy of God. Awesome. The Jealousy of God. If you go to the Grace Community Church website, look at sermons, um, just plug in Jealousy of God, Brad Clausen, K-L-A-S-S-E-N, and again, excellent, excellent study, because we can have a very real confusion of jealousy. Our jealousy is sinful. I might say not always. If I'm jealous for my wife, in other words, not wanting another to in, invade our intimacy in our, in our life. That's a good jealousy. How I deal with that may be sinful, okay? But that's, God has this beautiful, perfect jealousy for his children. And jealousy of his own perfections. None of us can have that. Okay, uh, let's see. Lack of time in the study of God's word. Uh, We can be lazy, being unwilling to do the work or engage in study of righteous things. And if we're not doing that, we have a tendency in our fallenness to revert back to worldly things. So what are you investing in? Hebrews 5, starting at verse 12, says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only in milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Here's another area that can seriously compromise, and we all fight with this aspect in our fallenness, pride. Again, a bent of fallen sinful man, but beware of this trap. We need to grow in humility. Humility fosters a right dependence upon God and trust in God. If I'm going to recommend a a, a book to read, Humility by Andrew Murray, there are other very, very good books, but this is a good read. Because again, we have a, have a bent potentially of thinking too highly of ourselves. Or ongoing sin, that's certainly another area that can compromise our trust in Christ. Practicing sin should make us guilty. If it doesn't, and there is no conviction, and there is no discipline from the Lord you truly would need to examine yourself to see if you're uh, in the faith, see if you're a child of God. I'm going to give you that reference again, 2 Corinthians 13.5. Unrepentant sin, uh, the same thing, similar to ongoing, but you may just not want to give it up. When what should be happening is that that sin needs to be killed, we need to mortify it. Another book recommendation on that area, if you are struggling with that aspect and need to learn to 
biblically deal with sin, killing sin habits. And that book is by Stuart Scott. How about fear? The only thing we should fear is God, having an awe, understanding, a perspective. But there is a fear. If we understand the holy righteousness of God as best we can, and the guilt that therefore as sinners we have, that brings a healthy fear. It helps us, in fact, motivates us to put away sin. But if we ignore that, something is wrong, something is disconnected. Also, the fear of man. There can be a, a, a misplaced fear of man instead of God, where oftentimes that's self-preservation or just an attempt to avoid conflict or, again, just misplaced fear. I'm not talking about something that's a threatening, a very true threatening situation. Be wise, please. But the fact of the matter, in some relationships, you don't even deal with differences and disagreements that can become conflict because you don't want to have conflict. Nothing gets resolved then. In Psalm 56.4, says the following, In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, another area that can compromise our trust in God, fantasies, I I called it. I don't know if that's a very good word or not. But there can be an aspect of fantasizing in in a lustful way. But also where I see more... A different aspect of that is more the imagination. People will think, I've got a difficult situation to deal with, and it could go like this. And they play it over and over and over in their mind, and it builds fear and trepidation. And what? Distrust in what the Lord is doing. If he is sovereign, just deal with the issue. But don't play it over and over in your mind even if it were to work out in the worst-case scenario, how has that helped you? How does that benefit you? Or on the other side, you have a fantasy over something that you really want, and that's a waste of time too. But again, and I'm sorry to say in, in this next one, I'm thinking of, of some, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out if they're truly believers or not, but where there's no fear of God in the sense of ongoing sin, and I'm thinking really hyper-grace, where don't be hung up on sanctification and obedience and putting away sin. Christ has paid for that, so don't worry about it. Quite the contrary. He tells us to grow in holiness and sanctification, Are they truly not seeing that or redefining that?
God gave us shame for a reason, that it would identify areas that are wrong, lacking, problematic, sinful. But also, dwelling on worldly issues can foster attitudes, thoughts, habits, and lifestyles that are not pleasing to our Lord. Many Christians, and I know you'll, maybe even to some degree, we all partake in this to some degree, some in a big way. Many Christians find it easy and become too focused on the world, the temporal world. The problems with this or that. How about these hot buttons? Politics. Finance. Family, work, people, relationships, and many other areas that can take our attention and move it off the sovereignty and goodness of Christ and trusting Him onto the problems with the world. How does that help you? It doesn't. Okay, I'm going to turn to Luke 12. I didn't have this in my notes, but it's 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 so important. And I, I know there, is it Matthew six is the parallel. Let's see here. Let's start with verse thirteen. Let me read through. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. Worrying adds nothing good, nothing good. So, dwelling on worldly issues can foster attitudes, thoughts, habits, lifestyles that are not pleasing to the Lord. And as mentioned, many Christians find it easy to become too focused on the world. The problems with this, that, the items that I listed. So my question to you, how do you react to life's various difficulties? Is Christ your anchor in difficult times? Is Christ your anchor in good times? We can call, call out to him in the darkest moments and should do so. But do we call out to him in thanksgiving when circumstances are great? Or do we pat ourselves on the back? No. We thank him for both and seek to learn what he is revealing to us in both. Is he not Lord over all? So how are we to view and understand the trials that come our way? If you're not in a trial now, you will be eventually, right? We all have them. Difficulties, challenges. The Bible makes it clear in James uh, 1-2. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The trials are purposeful. If we embrace them, the Lord will use them for his purposes. If we fight them, what should we expect? More and ramped up until we get the point. So the call is to thank him We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. Many of you, if not all of you, have dealt with very real issues, very real griefs. That's okay. But also, trust in the Lord throughout all of that process, seeking His wisdom, His work on your heart life, changing you to what? more and more like his son. Is that unbelievable? He continues to work on his children to make him more like his righteous son. We grow in sanctification in all of these ways. Part of that is growing in trust, in trust of him, in all that he's doing. 
It goes on in James 1. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed to and fro by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Where is your stability? Where is my stability? Our stability comes by trusting God in Christ. Now, I realize no one does this perfectly. So this is a, a, a challenge to us all, but also an encouragement. But we must take every opportunity to train ourselves in this truth that our great God is trustworthy, is faithful, is reliable, is powerful, and is good. You're familiar with Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good, but it's qualified for those that love him, right, and are called according to his purpose. And usually we look at that as as in a trial and difficulties in life. But is is God growing us and making us more Christ-like? What does that do with our testimony to others during these times? If we are (laughs) ranting on about politics or how the world has just gone completely upside down and anti-biblical, anti-Christ, which those things are true. But if we focus on that, what are others hearing from us? How terrible things are, how out of control everything is. Is that the truth? God has control over all. His purposes are being done. And sinful man goes about. But as, even as it says in Genesis <clears throat> fifty twenty, what man purposes for evil, God uses for good. Only a sovereign, good, all-powerful God can do that in all these multifaceted ways. You and I can't see those things. And we don't need to because we trust him. If we are disgruntled or discontent, we are complaining to whom? If you believe in a sovereign God and you're complaining about the things that are going on or the things around you or the things at work, who are you complaining to? God. Adam did the same thing. At the very first sin, that's how heinous and ugly it is. What did Adam do? It's the woman you gave me. Okay, first of all, he throws his wife, who was perfect just a moment ago, totally under the bus. That hadn't been created yet, but anyway, no. But I mean, he does before the, the all authority of God himself and throws his wife right there. Doesn't take any accountability. 
Do you think he knew that that fruit came off the... Yeah. There's, there's no doubt. Who's held responsible for that first sin? Yep. I'm not going to make a comment on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's way beyond that. What what was he what were they thinking if we if we look at that situation and though Satan deceived her, they still were believing God was holding something good back. Do we not do the same if we're angry, hurt, frustrated, disappointed, discontent, disgruntled? Absolutely, it's the same. What do we need to do with that? What does Tom need to do with that? Repent. Right? Anybody got that handled perfectly out there yet? I didn't think so. (laughs) I I had a counseling friend uh, or somebody I built friendship with in counseling and things of that nature. And there was continual complaining over this and that, and sometimes very little progress in not thinking too highly of oneself, etc. But I asked him at one point, I said, do you think God is an underachiever? He's provided all that we need for life and godliness. And I think sometimes... We believe that he doesn't see what's going on with us when we are disappointed or disgruntled or discontent. But I think we have to challenge our thinking. That's what this session is about, challenging and correcting and realigning our thinking that is accurate. High view of God. Does he love you? He's shown it in countless ways, at countless expense. Okay, so we may complain about how God is handling our life instead of embracing the trial, knowing he is at work and that he is growing me and growing you in those circumstances. Okay, what are some of the areas where we can increase or utilize to increase our trust in God? Growing in the knowledge of Christ. Listen and hold fast to the word. It consistently teaches us to trust in God in all circumstances, in all of this life and in the next. Practicing trust in all circumstances. I, I hope at some point in the, in the future, probably near future, you'll find yourself in a discontentment discontented attitude, and you go, wait a minute, that really isn't trusting God, that you would turn on that and see that, and again, now live pleasingly to the Lord. It won't be perfect. We still are fallen human beings that are are uh, selfish-oriented often, but let's have a better awareness Let's really remember the perfect character of God and shift from disappointment into, Lord, thank you and help me grow more Christ-like. 
Look for places that expose areas where you falter in your trust of God. Confess this as sin because it is missing the mark. God is faithful and trustworthy, and remember, he cannot be otherwise. We also can seek to learn from the sovereign events that come our way. Learn from them and see God at work. This does not mean that you're going to get your way, even if you ask for something that is good. God's way is always better. And his timing, this is a hard one. (laughs) This is a very hard one at times. His timing is perfect. That may be a period of wait. Remember, his answer to prayer can also just be no. Why? Because he wants to withhold something good? Not at all. There's something else, something better. I don't mean something better that you go, I wanted, what can I use? I wanted this car, but that car is a lot nicer. In fact, Stacy's starting to look at cars, if you've got any recommendations. <laughs> um, anyway. I don't know where these things come from. Uh, <laughs> but she is. Um, and we're going to trust God in that decision too. Right? Okay, so. God's way is better, but it may not be what you desired. You may never know why it was better. It's not for us to know. We don't have the mind of God in that way. We have the mind of Christ in the very word, right? Be content there. We need to respond in confidence in not ourselves, not our circumstances, not our world, but in our Lord and Savior. Let me share a number of scriptures that I think will encourage your hearts. Psalm 143.8. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Psalm 9.10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 27, 20, verse 7. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Chariots and horses has me thinking of that car again. But what I think it is in this context is that there's a strong army that has chariots and horses, and I have fear. They're strong. They're formidable. But we will boast in the name of the Lord, our God. It's a way better context than Stacy's car to me. Oh, Psalm 32, 10 and following. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, 
and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Isaiah 26, verse 3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. That rock is what? Everlasting. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So my question to all of us is, what should we be thinking about? If we've been disgruntled, complaining about the politics, uh, administration issues, blah, 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 whatever it may be. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. There is nothing better than for us to look unto our glorious Lord and Savior with eyes of trusting praise and worship. But we do need to recall and remember that we're all in process, right? Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He has equipped us and is preparing his bride for his return. He has also given us the ability to live in a way that is pleasing to him. That needs to be our aim and our ambition. And only he has made that possible for us to be able to do. What is also amazing is that he equips us to be able to respond righteously and then blesses us for doing so with something that he gave to us and equipped us, and it's blessing upon blessing. What a great Lord and Savior we serve and trust. Let's look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight.
Is he trustworthy? He is indeed trustworthy. You know, we sing a, a lot of different songs that are worshipful to God, and I'm grateful for the hymnology that we follow here for the most part. But there are also great, great, great modern-day hymns. That certainly is a form of worship. Consider the words as we sing. One such song, maybe I should have you get up here and sing this. <laughs> it would be wonderful. Uh, His robes for mine. Somebody's ready to sing. That song, if you consider the great, great cost, the love that's on display, it is absolutely amazing. How else can we respond other than living in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, which is trusting in Him for all aspects, not only our salvation, but all aspects of life, as He provides what we need to grow in sanctification. What a great God we serve. Let me also share... First Peter 3, and I'll start with uh, verse 1 and actually read quite a ways into this. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. I don't have an agenda with this, by the way. <laughs> but it is trusting in God's provision and purposes in all of life, Right? We do have different roles. We are all equal before God, right? But we have different roles and aspects, and all of us fail in those areas at times. Learn from them, deal with them, excel still more, and continue to be pleasing to the Lord. So let me start again. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and and who have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. I'll pick this up again in just a moment. But do you see the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. She's trusting God in all aspects. Even in that following verse, in verse 6, you are children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear, trusting in God in all aspects of life, right? It goes on, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way. 
as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. What a beautiful statement. So that your prayers will not be hindered. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And I could go on, but one one point I wanted to make is, as we see this world spiraling, quote, out of control, and others want you to engage in, you know, talking about that, instead, let them see your quiet and certain, unflinching trustworthiness in Christ. And let them ask you, what is the hope that is within you? What a great opportunity to communicate the truth of the gospel to this lost and dying world. These are days ahead that we may see. This is an opportunity for God, again, to use you, the children of God, to communicate who God is, how trustworthy he is in all things, and his plan to judge the world. But that judgment has already been put on Jesus Christ for all those who truly believe in who he is and what he has done and live in faith. Lord, we are grateful to you that you would be mindful of us and give us good things, giving us the greatest, Christ. We also thank you for the Spirit who indwells us, who convicts us of sin and turns us back to the cross. We thank you for Christ. The second Adam who lived that perfect life that we never could and went to the cross to pay the wages of our sins, being perfect, We thank you that he bodily rose from the dead and is alive today. We are grateful for, again, the the righteousness that's imputed. We know that positionally we're in Christ's righteousness, and practically we still fail. Lord, we lift up our sin of, of distrust for those that have been challenged in that area, and I think to some extent we all are in our frailties, in our sinfulness. 
Lord, continue to help us as we study your word and see your perfections, your attributes, your strength, your power, your purposes, all your perfections. And that we would humble ourselves before you, confessing our sins, knowing that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, without you, we are utterly lost. With you, we have all things that we need for life and godliness. Thank you. Help us to be a beacon of light, and that light be Christ in this lost and dying world, that we would have an opportunity to communicate your glorious truths of the gospel, the power of Christ and the cross. And we pray that you would go before us preparing the soil, for only you can do that, and only through your gift can people we see. Help us to see more and more clearly Thank you for growing us in sanctification and Christ-likeness. We know we come woefully short. And we do look forward to the day that you return for your church. And we do cry out, Maranatha, at the same time realizing that all your purposes are for your glory. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for the love that you extend to us, your family, your children, We worship and praise you. I pray for everybody in this room that we would realize our areas where we fall short in our trust towards you who is utterly faithful and trustworthy. May we grow in those areas and be all the more pleasing to you as we finish our days here. In Christ's name, amen.